as you're seated, stop talking, and we'll proceed. You know, I was happy to see that uh, video that we used of She Still Stands, speaking of our flag. I remember when our former president didn't want to wear a pen like this. He refused to wear the pen like this. In the beginning of his first term, he would not wear this pen until finally he discovered it was politically better to do it. And so then he did. And he always had one after that. We don't wear this pen just because it's, it's a pen that shows up. It's because we believe what the American flag stands for. People have tried to stop God. They've never succeeded. They've tried to destroy the Jews. They've never succeeded. They've tried to destroy the American flag, but they've never succeeded, and they will not succeed.
15 or 20 or $25 telephone prepaid calling card. It would be great to have that next Sunday. We'll take them and we'll send them to the military platoon that we have adopted over in the, in the, in the Middle East, Near East, and we will be a supporting church for that uh, group of men and women over there serving our country. Um, Christy Catalyst has headed up our military and liaison ministry. And the, is there any certain gift card that they need to get? Is any, any calling card be okay for any long-distance prepaid telephone card. So you can probably get them at Verizon, AT&T. You may get them other places. But just find one and, and do something for somebody in, in the military who's away from home. And it would be a great time to send it because Father's Day is coming up very soon. You know, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Two Sundays after that is Father's Day. So it would be a great, this is a great time to do I hope that you'll be a part of that next Sunday as we support our military in one more way by doing something nice and considerate for them. God bless you for being here today. I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day celebration tomorrow. I hope you don't have to work. I do, but I hope you don't. A lot of us have to, but we got to get something repaired on all this damage that the lightning did to our churches. We are... We're handicapped. If you tried to call the church offices, but you just got nothing but a voicemail. Because our phones have just been burned up. They sent us new telephones out. Now we find out the wires going to the telephones are burned up by the lightning. And we've got grounds on all this. It's not because we're too ignorant to ground for lightning. We did. It's just at one of those times it just overpowered it all. It got through and did a lot of damage. Didn't burn anything down. Thank the Lord for that. But it did handicap us in a lot of ways. No internet this week. Telephone's not working. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of damage done in that respect. And I've already told you we're working with our old soundboard today because, because William and Libby Collins had to leave Saturday when we realized we couldn't get it repaired nearby and drive all the way to Tampa to take that soundboard down there so that they can start working on it. We don't know how long it'll take it to repair, but we knew if we put it in here, we'd have been waiting even longer than we would if we took it down there. So they just made that trip and sacrifice for you and for our church to get that done. So. A lot of folks do a lot of good things that we don't know about and don't appreciate, don't we? And we appreciate them if we know them, but we, but, but we have to know them. So Christy's lined up. The, she's the liaison for the military, and we're expanding our outreach to do things for the military. We even really took the soundboard down there. Jim Trott came in real early this morning to help us set up the old soundboard so we have sound this morning. So all of those good things. We have a lot of volunteers in our church do a lot of great things. Did you know that? Let's, 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 let's thank all of them. Including our greeters and our ushers and helpers in every way. Praise the Lord. I'd like to spend a lot of time dwelling in the upper room, wouldn't you? It's a sacred place. Of all the places that I know of that they take us when they go on a trip to Israel, I have never had any guide say to me, this is the upper room where the disciples gathered for the last Passover and where they were on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. I don't know that anybody acknowledges the current existence of that room or remembers it. But the more I've read about it in the Scripture, 
the more I have dwelt on it, and I have formed a number of, 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 of important, I think, opinions about it, and, uh, and learned a great deal of truth about it. My message to you this morning is dwelling in the upper room. Last week I preached on directions to the upper room. Today it's dwelling in the upper room. And next Sunday on Pentecost Sunday, the message will be departing from the upper room. The disciples and many of them, about 120, were in the upper room from the time of Jesus' ascension to the time the Holy Spirit came on that celebratory day, that feast day, the day of Pentecost. At that time, they left the upper room and went out with the message of the Lord Jesus. I'll talk about that departing from the upper room next Sunday, as I said. Today I want to say some things to you about dwelling in the upper room. Last Sunday I tried to make it clear to you that the location, the place, knowing exactly where that upper room was, is not what's significant to us. What is significant to us is the spiritual meaning that is conveyed by what went on in that upper room. I personally believe that the same upper room that is talked about in Acts chapter 1, where the believers gathered waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, is the same upper room that they were in just a few days before that, a couple of months before that really, when they celebrated the Passover for the last time, and the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, commemorating his, his sacrifice on the cross. There are numbers of reasons why I think the rooms are the same. Both times that those rooms are mentioned in the Gospels and in the first chapter of Acts, it specifies that it was an upper room on an upper level, a second-story room. And that was where they gathered for their worship and for the significant uh, things that were accomplished there. Both times it specifies that it was a large room. It very clearly says it was a large room in the Gospels. The word large is not an adjective to the room in the book of Acts. However, there were 120 people gathered in that room. So I say to you, it was a rather large room to accommodate that many people, and perhaps more room would, would have accommodated more. I don't know. I'll say something about that again in a moment. But it's also the room that's described in the Gospels, the one that's mentioned in Acts chapter 1. Both times, they're in Jerusalem. So it was a room, both times, that was in Jerusalem. It may have been the room where the disciples gathered after the resurrection and when Jesus appeared to them two times in a room, in a closed room. One time when Thomas wasn't there, one time when Thomas was there. So it, it, it may have been the room where they gathered because they went to a known place for them. They had to gather, they, they, they gathered in secrecy because they were afraid of the retaliation from the Jews because this word of Jesus' resurrection was being spread. So they had to go to a place that they knew to go in, a gathering place that was familiar to them. It was also familiar to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, who when they realized they had been with Jesus, immediately left and went back to Jerusalem and found the disciples where they were gathered, 
so the Dudabba disciples from Emmaus knew how to go and how to find them. Again, a good reason, I think, that it was, that it was the same room. And so now, in the book of Acts, they are one more time gathered in the upper room. And the scripture says where they were staying. I don't know if that means they were staying there 24 hours a day. But that was their, that was their headquarters location for those who were waiting for the promise of the Father to come on the day of Pentecost and fill them with the spirit and power of, of his might. So it was a significant place, a significant room. And in that place, the spirit of the Lord ministered to people and helped them. If you will look at the things that happened the first time this supper was brought to our attention, when the disciples came together to celebrate the last Passover, as they were led to this upper room by a person that they didn't even know in the city of Jerusalem. They gathered there, and the Lord Jesus was with them. And some parts of that gathering in the upper room were heavenly. They were wonderful. They were glorious. They were uplifting. And some of them were just totally carnal and out of order and out of place. So there was a difference in what happened the first time in the upper room, and the second time in Acts chapter 1 and 2 in the upper room, the second time, the place we want to dwell that I'm talking about today, the place we want to find, the place we, where we want to go, the place where we want to put our knees on the floor and wait before God, that place is significant for great spiritual value, and I'll share that with you in a moment. But the first time, they were in the upper room. There was a lot of complexity going on. That was when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And all of the disciples started saying to him and to each other, is it I? Now, if you said today, or if I told you today, I prophesied that before, that before this day is over, that there is someone in this church who's going to deny Jesus recant their faith in Him, and disavow Him as Savior and Lord. Would you say, I wonder if He's talking to me. Could, could it be me? Would you say that? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd be just like Peter. He may not be a good example. I'd be just like Peter. I'd say, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm not going to deny you. I won't be the one that does that. It may be somebody else. It may be somebody else. It could be David. Might be Harold. Might be Tom. Won't be Bill. Oh, no, not me. <laughs> that was the way Peter looked at it. But all of us would certainly have a right to say, I don't think, and I think Peter had a right to say, he didn't believe that was going to happen. He didn't know the circumstances were going to face I think it, it, would be, it would be surprising to me and surprising to you about yourself if you were to say, oh, pastor said somebody's going to deny Jesus today. I wonder if it's me. We would stand up and say, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm going to pray for whoever it's going to be. I believe the prophets. I believe in somebody. We'll stand up and pray for whoever it's going to be, but it's not going to be me. And frankly, we ought to take that viewpoint. That's the way we ought to look at it. 
Our faith ought to be strong enough and we ought to be solid enough in Him. We ought to be grounded enough to not expect that anything can shake us from the faith that we have that Jesus is Lord. Somebody in that upper room is going to betray him. And he had already betrayed him because he had already taken 30 pieces of silver to identify where they could find him. And when Jesus said, what you do, go and do quickly, Judas left. I'm not going to say a lot about leaving, but I'm just going to say he didn't want to be, he did not any longer want to be in the fellowship of the saints. He did not any longer want to be with the believers in Jesus Christ. He no longer wanted his place in that body. He had cast his lot, he had made his denial, and now he made it official. He was departing from Jesus of Nazareth. But not only that, do you know, and I told you that John chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 all took place in the upper room. Do you know that in that upper room, now this is a glorious place where Jesus is there at the table. He's breaking the bread and, and, and passing the juice of the grape. And he's sharing with people and he's, he's washing their feet. He's doing great things in ministry and he's teaching them. Read those chapters in John. He's teaching. He's saying wonderful, powerful things. To them. And do you know in the midst of all of this, the disciples got in an argument? They got an argument. And you know what they're arguing about? I'm greater than you. I can sing better than you can. My testimony is better than yours. I've done more for God than you've ever done. So why wouldn't I be the leader of the crowd? Why wouldn't I be the head of the parade? All of them wanted to be the head. God, I'm so glad that isn't it back there. So glad they finished all that carnality and disgust back there those days, aren't you? So glad we don't have people feeling like that today. I don't know what I would do. I don't know how I'd make it if we had anybody feeling like that today. They all wanted to be seen. They all wanted to be recognized. They all wanted to be acknowledged. <laughs> they all wanted what people want. It's about me, 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 me. And if we're going to have an election to decide who's going to lead this crowd, I'll tell you who I'm voting for. That was their attitude. So they're arguing about who would be the greatest. And Jesus, like he always did, just came in and cut right through all that trash and garbage and mess. Cut right through it all. And you know what he said? Let him who would be greatest among you be the one who's got the brightest crown. Let the one who, who, who will be the greatest among you, let him be the one who's got the most money in his pocket. I usually take all the money out of my pocket before I preach, but I left it in there today so I could jingle it, so, so you would know. Let the one be the best. Grace got the most money in his pocket. Let the one be the greatest who's memorized the most of the prophets of the Old Testament. Let's just have a spiritual test. 
No, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't say anything like that. He said to them, what do you think I was doing earlier when I washed your feet? I was showing you that I came as the Son of God and the Son of Man. But I came not to be ministered to, but to minister to others. I came as your servant. And he who would be greatest among you must first become the servant of all. So that's the way. And friend... Most of us now have decided after I said that we really don't want to be the head of the crowd. Not really interested in being the chairman of the board. I don't have to be the president of the company. I don't have to be the spokesman on TV. I'll just sit back because I didn't know that in order to get that position, I had to first become the servant of everyone. I'm so glad Jesus said that, and I'm not the one who said it. I'm just quoting it back to you. That's what he said. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you want to be great in God's plan and God's service, you want to be a leader, you want to be in a place of high position and recognition, that cannot be your goal. You need to be promoted because your service brings promotion. And that's what Jesus said in the upper room the first time when all that carnality and betrayal was spread among them. He said, you've got to be humble and walk with me in my will and my plan if you want to fulfill my calling for the kingdom of God. That was the first time in the upper room. So I'm not quite sure, I'm not quite sure when he told them to wait in Jerusalem, they went back to the upper room. They were feeling the same thing that they would have felt if all that wouldn't have happened. And yet that's where they went. Because as he gathered with them, just before his ascension, recorded in the first chapter of the book of Acts, and I'll let you turn there with me if you want to, Acts chapter 1, the first part of this chapter, the beginning of the book is about the promise of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus would fulfill, fulfill, Father would fulfill to them. And so while staying, I'm reading that verse 4, while staying with them, the disciples and others, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. I don't know that they understood what the promise of the Father was. But they did know that something was going to happen. And they would recognize that when it came, this is the promise of the Father. He certainly didn't explain to them that there was going to be a mighty rushing wind, there was going to be tongues like a fire sitting on them, and there's going to be steady on speaking tongues in other languages and from, from all over the world. He didn't explain that to them. He just said, wait for the promise of the Father. And sometimes, you know, we're waiting for the promise of the Father, and we don't know exactly what the manifestation is that we're waiting for. We don't know exactly what it's going to be, how it's going to happen, what's going to occur, we don't know. We just know that when it happens, we'll know what it is. We'll recognize it when it happens. You know when God is moving. You may not be able to anticipate the heaven. I told you last Sunday, and I've told you times before, about the time years ago when I passed in the church, and then on that Sunday night, I started to 
pray for people. They all started to fall out of the floor. I was surprised that we uh, did it last Sunday morning. And, and in those days, that was a new thing. That wasn't something we expected. People didn't come after the altar expecting to fall out of the floor. You just said, I'm going to fall out. And you're going to fall out in the floor. Most of them wouldn't have even come up there. They didn't know that. So I'm telling you that we may not always know ahead of time what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is going to be. But we do know this. We will recognize that it is, He is doing it. It is Him when it happens. We'll know it's God. And so he said, wait for the promise of the Father that you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Not many days from now. And so, and so they all gathered around, headed over to the upper room to wait on him. The first thing they did, they said, was so when they had come together in the little conclave got organized, they asked him. Now, he's still, he's still showing himself alive by infallible proofs following his resurrection. So they asked him. Question, I've got a question, Lord. i got a question. i got a question. It's always a question. So they said to him, now I'm reading in verse 6 and 7. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now he has said nothing about Israel. He's nothing about restoring the kingdom. He has said anything about that. He just said, wait for the promise of the Father. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Wait, and the promise of the Father will be fulfilled. Go to Jerusalem and stay there till it happens. And they said, but Lord... Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to raise us up and put a king on the throne and make us supreme, ruling over the world? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus did not sit down and have a conversation with the God. He didn't say, well, it's wonderful to get you interested in prophecy. You know, let's talk about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I'll explain it all to you. said to them very quickly, straightforward. Jesus said to them, here it is. Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And that was what the important message was. Receive the Holy Spirit, and you will be witnesses for me. That's what I've called you to do, what I've called you to be, and I haven't called you to be prophecy teachers. I haven't called you to be those who can explain all the little nuances of the Old Testament words and put it all together and make you the theologians of the age. I've not called you to do that. I've called you to be witnesses for me. And later on... Later on, I'm happy this is in the Bible. Later on, when Peter and John were arrested, it says this is the Sanhedrin, the Jerusalem council, were speaking out against them and trying to denigrate them in every way. And it says that they looked at them and they perceived that they took knowledge of them. First of all, they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant. 
Sanhedrin council realized they couldn't do anything about it. There was power in what they were saying. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. There was a change in them. And though they realized they, were, they hadn't any education, they didn't understand all the prophets. They couldn't explain the Talmud or the Old Testament. They couldn't describe that the way the priest leaders could do. But they could do this. They could testify for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And something started to happen by the power of God. So they said, yeah, they're unlearned and ignorant, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's what we want to happen. That's what we want to happen. Not let everybody marvel at our education. All the degrees I got strung out behind my name, uh, there's not enough room on the page. I have to have the second line to put them all on there. Well, I don't. That's not what's important. What's important is someone speaking the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit, declare the name of Jesus, and people realize Jesus is alive. In these words, I know Jesus is alive. Because here's the power of the Holy Spirit making it known through these people, no matter how low a level that the understanding and knowledge they may be. So you see, when the Word of God is there, and when God begins to move and manifest His presence, I said a few minutes ago, when He begins to manifest His presence, people know. They may not know what it was going to be like, what was going to happen, but when it does happen, they know this is the power of God. That's what they do. And that's what we want them to know. This is the power of God. So, He told them to wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would be witnesses for Him. Jerusalem and all over the world. And then there was a great unity in that place that wasn't there the first time they were in the upper room for the Passover. Now they're in the room for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it's a great unity. One of the ways I know is the people who were there, those who had opposed Jesus during his earthly life and ministry, his own brothers, were there in the upper room. Not only that, there was an election held. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they held an election. It's a good thing they didn't have television ads and newspaper ads and all that for that election, isn't it? They held an election. And guess what? They were going to decide who was going to be the disciple to take Judas' place. And the lot, the vote fell on Matthias. And he was named as one of the apostles. And nobody said he's an illegal apostle. He's a false apostle. It's an illegal election. He's not my apostle. be yours, but he's not mine. And he never will be, because I'm a never Matthias. Never did like him. Didn't like him when he was just a humble man. And I don't like him now that he's been elected as the apostle. Wouldn't have him then, not going to have him now. And nobody can make me. The only difference is, they didn't have anything to say about it. Because God had chosen them. Not making any comparisons here or any parallels here. 
just trying to preach God's word to you. <laughs> so they were united for the election of an apostle. And they said, oh, wonderful, Matthias is elected. They all accepted him. Later on, somebody said it wasn't really true because Paul was actually the other apostle. But you see, there was never anything that said, and never did say anything in the Bible says, that there are only 12 apostles. The Bible says there are other apostles that have come along since then. And I believe that's true. So, so in that upper room, I think one thing that must, they must have remembered, if you're ripping this upper room again, you're remembering a couple of months before, we were here for the last Passover, and these are the things that Jesus said. You'd, you'd be kind of remembering the things that he said, thinking about them, dwelling on them, talking about them. They were praising God. They were saying great, uplifting things. They were in God's presence. That's what they were called to do, be there, pray and praise and wait on the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I think one of the things they must have remembered, somebody must have brought it up. Say, so, well, you know, back when we were in this upper room a few weeks ago, and Jesus was with us before he was crucified and then raised from the dead, remember he said that all the commandments were fulfilled, but that he had given us a new commandment? But I remember that. What was it that he said? They didn't have it in writing. What was it that he said? And someone said, well, it was a, he said it was a new commandment. And, and the others were not. This was the real commandment that really mattered. And someone said, I remember what it was. But what was it that he said? And, and, and that, who, that person quoted it back. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And friend, when that happens, the natural result of that, the spiritually natural, the supernatural result of that, is when that happens, we all come into one accord. There were 120 of them in the upper room. The last time most of them, the leaders were there, they were arguing about who was going to be the leader of the pack. This time now, after Jesus spoke his commandment, and they remember it, they're in the presence of God waiting for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled. They must have dwelt on some of the things he said, and that would have been the most important thing. He who would be great among you must be the servant of all. Yes. Do as I've done. Serve. But keep this in mind for every one of you. I will call this a new commandment. That's how important it is. There's never been a commandment added to those of the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a new commandment. And these two commandments is significant importance. It is signally important. It is important today, it will be important tomorrow, and it will be important forever. This new commandment, do not forget it. If you remember one thing out of the scripture, I recommend this is one thing that you do remember. That Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Now, I want to tell you this, in case you haven't got to that place yet, that you don't love any, everybody in this place just like Jesus loved. I'm going to tell you it's a hard thing to do. It's harder with some of you than it is with others. I, I, I don't mean to say it's harder. For, <laughs> I don't mean to say it's harder for me to love somebody than it is to us. What I mean, <laughs> well, that is actually what I meant, but. But what, but what I'm going to say from that is that it's harder for some of you to love 
your brothers and sisters as Jesus loved you. It's harder for you to love some folks than it is to love other folks as well. And that, and, and that may be a natural thing, but a supernatural move of God overcomes natural things. What you can't do in the natural, you can do in the supernatural. What you can't do in yourself, you can do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want to come together, come together dwelling in the upper room in the glory and the victory of the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on your life in its fullness of victory and power, then you need to be in one accord. And that's what happened in that upper room. Maybe they walked in there and they weren't as united as they should have been. They had not been in the past. But now they come into the upper room. There's 120 of them. And they come together. They're melted and molded and formed and united. And the Bible says they were united. They were in one accord. And when the Holy Spirit came, the rushing mighty wind that I'll talk about next Sunday, when the power of the Holy Spirit fell, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When that happened, it happened at a moment when they were all in one accord. Love unites. Love joins us. Love doesn't separate us. Love joins us. Love unites us. Love brings us into that unity with God and the Holy Spirit and with each other that allows us to achieve the victory that God has for us. So, I hadn't, I hadn't planned to close my message this morning with this song, but I think maybe we should. We're one in the body of God. We're one in the body of God. We have joined our spirits with the Spirit of God. Because of that, we're one in the body of God. I was going to tell you about my experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I can't do that this morning. Maybe I'll finally get to it. And if I planned it last Sunday, no time. Planned it this Sunday, no time. Maybe I'll finally get to it next Sunday. I won't tell you all of it because that will take my whole message. I want to tell you how I doubted after I was baptized. How I doubted. And how God overcame my doubts and settled it with me forever. And still settled today that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit on that Wednesday night in that little Pentecostal woman's church that I was seeking God, even though after that the devil tried to steal it from me. When I went before God, he settled it. And it's been settled ever since. I want to tell you about that really next Sunday. And I'm going to say this to you in closing this morning. I believe that the time that Jesus appeared to over 500 brethren at once, as is described in the 15th chapter, 6th verse of 1 Corinthians, by the Apostle Paul. I believe that time was the ascension. Just this time, just before going into the upper room, Jesus was with him, and he went up into heaven. And the angel said, This same Jesus that you see going away, you'll see him coming in like man. And I want to believe that that was the time. I don't have time to go into all the reasons why, but I believe that was the time when that 500 brethren gathered. Jesus said to all of them, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. But only 120 of them did. That's like a natural sequence of things to me. God gives commands to people, and I believe there are more that miss it and more that disobey it than obey it. 
be on that side of obeying. You don't want to be in that 380 of the more than 500. That's not an exact number because the 500 is not an exact number. So you don't want to be in that crowd that didn't stay and didn't wait. The people who did come and wait, they had 10 days of waiting. Now, I don't know, that all that involves something. They got to have water to drink. They got to have food to eat. They got a place to sleep. They, all that involves something. Many of them didn't live in Jerusalem, but they came and they stayed in that upper room. They waited for the promise of the Father because he had told them to wait, and you will receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized in the Spirit if you wait. I mean, next Sunday I'm going to tell you all about that. Sunday morning. It'll be a significant time for you to hear. But right now, we're dwelling in the upper room. We're dwelling. We're waiting. We're in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said to wait. So we're dwelling in the upper room right now. You don't have to be. You can go out and do everything contrary to that day if you choose to. But you can, you today, can just dwell on the Lord. Precious Holy Spirit become more and more real to you. Let it make the let it make the knowledge of Jesus in your life more important than ever. Let, him, let the Holy Spirit talk to you about the values of Jesus, about how much He loves you, how much He wants to bless you and help you. Do great things in your life. Make you a victorious servant of God. Let the Holy Spirit tell you those things. As we wait and dwell in the upper room through these next few days as we dwell in the presence of God presence of God in the upper room. It wasn't that the Lord wasn't present until the day He was there all the time. Blessing them, encouraging them, ministering to them, He was there. But friends, that was a great, great climactic event coming. That event coming was baptism. in the upper room the first time they were there. In which they came to realize and dwell upon and act upon the second time they were there, which is what brought them all in one accord. That you love 